episode of the Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight, where out of print is available again. And listeners like you, thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links. Hi, this is Rodney Thompson, game designer at Wizards of the Coast and designer of Lords of Waterdeep, and you're listening to the Tome. Welcome to the Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 241, we're creating paladins with holy power, monks who perform amazing feats, rogues who can disappear into the shadows, and warlocks who channel the magic of infernal masters, as we review the player's handbook for the 5th edition of Dungeons and Dragons. We made it, people! With this book out, so far as I'm concerned, new D&D is out. Speaking of which, here are some people who came out of the shadows from, of the internet to join us in this new edition review team. And they'll be with us going forward. And first up on our list is our own senior editor, Sam Dillon. Hello, hello. Woo! I feel like there should be applause, like a roaring crowd behind <laughs> one of the <laughs> Sam Dillon is one of the hosts, one of our not only our editor, but also one of the hosts of the Behind the DM Screen podcast, along with myself and our next illustrious guest, the master of the Sly Flourish, it's Mike Shea. Whoa, 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 wait. Weren't we talking about Rollmaster tonight? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I man, I didn't do the right research. And from the head seat at the round table, we are joined by the singularity known as James Introcasso. Yeah! Yeah! Hey that guys, it? thank you. Everybody just settle down. Just, <laughs> is, he, is he cheering for himself? Down. I think that was him cheering for himself. I ah. think if if we were like at a party or a rave, he would be the one shirtless dancing on the <laughs> <laughs> So this is the team we've gathered along with myself and Tracy to look at the player's handbook, the Monster Manual, the Dungeon Master's Guide, and everybody also wanted to come back and look at the two inaugural adventures for the edition. So I hope you like this combo. You're going to be hearing a lot from us in the next few months. However, before we get started on this, uh, we'd like to remind you about our best sponsor we've ever had, Noble Knight. Our pick for this episode is the one that we also made at the recent Behind the DM screen, and it's a pretty big deal. It's the book we're looking at tonight. It's the Player's Handbook. The Player's Handbook. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Rudy, I have a big problem. I can't find a place to buy or sell gaming products. You know, I had that problem too. Then I went to my DM. He told me about NobleKnight.com. Isn't that one of those internet stores? They are, but they're also a brick-and-mortar game store. Since using Noble Knight, I feel great! I can buy D&D and other tabletop RPG products from any edition, even stuff that's out of print. That does sound pretty great. Just pretty great! Get this, Noble Knight has all that, at a discounted price. And with Noble Knight, I can even sell them my old gaming products I'm not using anymore. Oh, wow. I've gotta check it out. 
You don't have to ask your DM if NobleKnight.com is right for you. We're pretty sure it is, since you're listening to a podcast about the minutiae of tabletop RPGs. People who use NobleKnight.com experience joy, having more money in their bank accounts, and lots of awesome gaming sessions. Seriously, why haven't you checked them out yet? Jeff Greiner uses NobleKnight, so should you. Well, my life has changed. It sure is, buddy. Soon, all our lives will be changed. Alright, it's time. Player's Handbook. Let's go. Full disclosure, before we get too far, uh, who in this group actually paid for their copy of the book? I did. I paid for more than one. Yes, I did too. Okay, so I got a review copy. Tracy got a review copy. Is that is that accurate? Yes. All right. Everybody else is unpaid, un unblemished by the uh, review copy process. Non corporate shills. Non corporate. <laughs> right. Well, well, I did write for them, but other than that, <laughs> and didn't you get a monster manual? Oh yeah, that too. Uh, but okay. besides those things <laughs> and the Amazon referral links, yeah. other than that, totally unbiased. Right. So as long as we're, I think as long as we're all clear about our biases, it's we're good going forward. Well, and we need to be clear that we uh, like D and D, so there's yeah, bias right, there right, too. Right. <laughs> that, well, we're, I don't we're, think we're in that I, I way. If we didn't like D and D, we wouldn't be on this podcast in what? the first no, place. No, no, no. But I, I do, I do. This want is to say this is the D and D podcast for people who hate D and D. True. Yes, that's Stupid right. Thaco. That's that's why we have Mike Shea on. <laughs> I think um, I I want to I do want to make the point that just because someone gets a complimentary review copy does not mean that they have no integrity and that their right. review is a shill. Right, I just like to be upfront. Except um, for Jeff. Yeah, it's good. Well, I'm, I'm to be upfront about. I'll shill for anybody for yeah. about three cents. However, <laughs> yes, if Wizards is listening, I would love to be a shill. So feel free. <laughs> <laughs> be free. I would be happy to give you favorable reviews. Wait, I have to make them all favorable. Yeah, I'll, I, I am. I am happy to give favorable reviews to every product I like that I get for free. <laughs> Have I told you about the lazy dungeon master? <laughs> uh, no, what is this? La- no, no, no. Okay, moving he on. Said, he said every product he likes. Oh. <laughs> oh. Well played, sir. Oh. We are overly boisterous and haven't talked at all about the player's handbook yet, other than that some of us got it for free. Player's handbook. What's in it? James, go. Uh, so the player's handbook has everything that you should need to start playing D&D if you are a player. Um, it also actually has a lot of good things. You could probably just get started using this book. There's some monsters in the back, um, and there's a lot of really great advice, I think, for creating characters. It's got all the stuff you would normally expect from a player's handbook if you've been playing for years, and if for some reason this is the first time you're listening to this podcast and you've never played D&D, yeah, we're going to go over a lot of that stuff, but it's got everything you need to create a character to play the game. Now, I don't know that this is everything you could you need to play the game. You say there's monsters in the back, but it's not really monsters in the back. It's like animal you, companions. And, you can and, fight a riding horse. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. There's, a skele- there's skeletons in the there back. Are, and and, and an imp, right? So if, if the only thing that and your dungeon zombies. is populated with is skeletons, zombies, and imps, then you're good to go, right? And, ri- right. and riding horses. And, ri- and riding horses. <laughs> so, Giants, spiders, and bears, those are pretty scary. I don't know that this is the only thing I would want to have to play D&D, Wrong. but it's the only thing I need if I'm a player for D&D. Correct. Shark. It's really not intended to be a single book. It's no. not like <laughs> it is not a single book. It's not a one book to rule them all. You need to play. No. Correct. Correct. But you could. You yeah. could. And, and you and you could with this material that's online. Yeah, with yes. the with the the D and D basic stuff, you could you could run a whole thing, right? And then this would give you all the player options that you want. Uh, should we talk about what specific player things are in here? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
let's see, races, dwarf, elf, halfling, human, dragonborn, gnome, half-elf, half-orc, tiefling. Comments on races? A good, a good mix. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's got a good mix, and I think my big comment for the player's handbook overall, which is going to be for classes, backgrounds, everything, is that it, it seems to be... Um, story first and story focused that that's sort of their way for drawing you into play is like look how cool it is you could be part devil if you're a tiefling look how cool it is you could be a half orc you know and I think uh, what I love about this is if it's your first time coming to this and you're reading the races section you get a great idea of what it's like to be these races Mm -hmm. and I think that's awesome Yeah. So go ahead Sam go ahead Tracy okay Tracy I was going to say, they're a dragonborn. Yeah. Which that mixes nicely with my comment, which was it also makes it really explicit that which races are in the setting that you're playing in is DM's choice. Mm-hmm. So if you don't like dragonborn, if if seeing dragonborn in the list makes you curl up your eyebrow, it's okay. It doesn't have to be in your yeah, world. It's just two or three pages out of a book that you can ignore. Right. Yeah. So, no, no, and, and it, it makes that that DM agency sort of fairly clear from the beginning, right? Pick the DM is, is, is entitled to and encouraged to pick and choose the, the elements of the game that they like or don't like in order to um, create the story they're trying to create. Right. Right. Not, not to be nitpicky. Does it actually say that someplace that I missed? Well, I just meant in the classes, like for example, Dragonborn, let's see Dragonborn on page 32. Oh, it it has actually, like young common races. Yeah. It says, it actually says if, you know, if your if your DM has or if your setting contains, you know, it right. doesn't it doesn't present it as this obviously is going to be in the setting, duh, because it's in the book. It right. presents it as it is possible to play this if your DM has this as part of the setting. Right? Because uh, do they actually? I'm trying to remember now. Uh, do they actually still split it between like common races and exotic races? Uh, yes. It, it has an uncommon race. It refers to the dragonborn as an as, uncommon, as an uncommon race. race. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. It's not really split out, though. I mean, it's no, it's sort right. of a sidebar. Right. 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 Cool. So those are the races. Um, any specific race issues they want people want to bring up or mention or or deal with? Uh, there's there's one thing that I think is clear in the races, but to me it's also really clear in the classes. So maybe I'll talk more about it there. But I love that they have lots and lots of sub races, so it doesn't feel like you're limited to just a small number of races within each of them. They they often have two or three types, and it it gives a lot of variety to and and those types often have a, a tiny little bit of mechanical change as well. So it feels like even within you know the one the the the, the two page spread of half elf, there's a lot. There's a lot there. Mm-hmm. Right on. I have, I think, two total critiques, maybe three total critiques of the whole book, I think. Mm-hmm. And one of them is in the races. Uh, and I was going to bring up art later, but I'm going to bring it up here too. Oh, this is probably something I was going to oh, mention too. Yeah. Go ahead. Big heads. I really don't like the halfling art. You know what? I don't, uh-huh. I, I don't think it's the big heads. I think it's the small legs. <laughs> <laughs> I think the heads would be fine if the legs were proportional. Yeah, Jarrett pointed that out to me too. I think he said like that it looks a lot more like actual real life human dwarfs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dwarfs yeah, no, no, that, yeah, that that's actually a comment that I've made as well. It looks more like uh, actual actual uh, small, little people, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, where 
And that's not what they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be their own sort of independent, separate race. Yeah. So. Yeah, I've heard critique of the gnome art for uh, the fact that they don't look like they belong with the rest of everything else. That the style of the gnomes seems more cartoony than mm-hmm. than the rest of everything. Heard, they look like they belong in a comic book. I've though. heard that as well, and that but that one doesn't bother me as much. I don't for whatever reason. Because they're gnomes. Because they're gnomes, right? I guess it's just what I expect from gnomes. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But the halfling one bothers me. So yeah. anyway, that's my my race comment. Go, otherwise, going through all the, the races, reading through them, they did a lot of cool things in there that I liked. There's all these um, – yeah, you, uh, I think, James, you mentioned that they it's story first, right? Uh, and they deal with a lot of – like even like the naming conventions. They mm-hmm. go through for each one of them sort of these are this is how they come up with names or these are the kinds of names. And some of them have like stories behind them like this is where they start off with their names and that, but they change their names. Or they have, you know, the tieflings have virtue names or, you know, clan names for the dwarves and all these different stories embedded into how names work. Well, and and beyond just kind of how the names work, they also offer a good pile of names to steal from. Sure. Which is great when you have somebody who's like, I I really have no idea what my name is. And you just go, ah, Fane, I like that. Yep. (laughs) Or great for when you create an NPC on the fly. Yeah, right. Yeah. Cool. So I have one, one, one last comment, and that is that um, – and this is sort of a, 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 almost a mechanical thing. Well, it is a mechanical thing. Um, all, of the, all of the races have some ability score bonus, but none of them have an ability score penalty. Mm-hmm. 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 So it's, it's a definite um, stylistic choice to make it all about story, have a lot of backstory, a lot of naming things, but also the mechanics – give you bonuses for picking a certain race, but there's really no drawback for picking a right, certain race. Right. So and, and beyond that, uh, the one, one other part is because they have a hard cap on the attributes, mm-hmm. um, you, you have a lot more freedom to choose whatever race you want with whatever class you happen to want to play and right. not feel like right. you, you're an idiot. Because you're only ever going to get to a 20 in that stat right. anyway. So. Yeah, right. right. And by a certain level, you're going to You're going to get there anyway. Yeah. Yep. I will throw this out there, that there is one draw, mechanical drawback, and that's the Drow's sunlight sensitivity, which I was glad to see back in the game. Yeah. yeah. Because they're awesome. They're, like, awesome otherwise, and so it makes sense that they would have a Yeah, they, they actually right. drawback. Yeah, I didn't mean there's no drawback. I just meant in terms of attributes. Like there's because no, you know in, in sort of classic Dungeons and Dragons editions, there was always or there was often a, a drawback. Like you know, a half orc would have like a negative two to their charisma right off right. the top. Exactly. And and yeah. none of the races now have any sort of attribute drawback. So right. Um, and then the other thing is cause, just because we mentioned it before, the differing between the common and uncommon races, there is like a difference in that. It's alphabetical for common, I think, and then alphabetical for yeah. uncommon. They don't like they don't mm-hmm. like necessarily. There's not like a page that says now you're going into the uncommon races or whatever. Right. But but you, they do do that, right? There's there's the common races. Was it the four of them? And then it start alphabetically, in, or is it five? No, four. And then it starts over alphabetically with dragonborn, gnome, half elf, and on and on from there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And good. I'm sure we'll talk about it more later with the with in, the inclusivity stuff. But I like that also the humans have way more uh like subgroups mm-hmm. than the other than the other ones to really populate a world with differences. Yeah. And not yeah. to mention the art choice for the human is fantastic. Well, I noted There's... um there is not a a stereotypical common fantasy combo 
ex- with like one or two exceptions in the mm-hmm. entire in the entire races section. It was all either females or minorities, with the exception of what the half elf. Yeah, I did find it talking about uncommon races. I found it interesting that Drow is not listed as an uncommon race. Because they just listed it as a subgroup of elves. They, they listed as a subgroup of elves, so it doesn't end up falling under the uncommon race category. And I think so. that's more, everybody wants to be drizzed. Well, and I, I don't well, think it's an issue of them trying to say drow are common. I think it's an issue of them trying to categorize to it as an elf. Right, they're you know? an elf. Yeah, exactly. It's just another kind of elf. Well, right. it does. If you read actually, if you read the last line, I think on the drow, it says drow adventurers are rare, and the race does not exist in all worlds. Oh, yeah. Check with your yeah. dungeon master to see if you can play a drow character. See, I knew so there's even a more reason, so. I knew there's a reason more so than others. I just happen to. Mm-hmm. Well, I just happen to look over and see it. But um, <laughs> it's not because I'm smart. It's just random chance. Um, <laughs> but it, you know, I think even more so than the other races, it kind of says specifically, you better, you know, ask permission on this one. Now, one of the things they said early on in the design process is that their hope was that you would be able to build uh, a character in this from this book that you could play, you could build from any previous editions player's handbook. Mm-hmm. Are there any races missing then from what first, second, third, fourth in terms of races? I think they pretty much. I mean, the only thing that was unusual in in all of those editions was probably Dragonborn and Tiefling in fourth right. edition and, and they made it right. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. it covers everything, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I don't, yeah, I don't notice anything missing, but I'm not. Okay. Now we may have a different conversation when we, when we get to classes. So let's move over to those. Uh, <laughs> the classes, barbarian, bard, cleric, druid, fighter, monk, paladin, ranger, rogue, sorcerer, warlock, wizard. What are we missing from the classes? Well, there's a bunch of classes that are missing that are added as subclasses. Yeah. I don't know about a bunch, but I know of one right off the top of my head. That's the Assassin, okay. which, has, which has previously been a core class in other books. In, in yeah. some really older editions, right? And first, now he's, first, second? Yeah, no, just first. Now, I think it was just first. Yeah. I don't know, but I don't, I'm not... Assassins I'm not. were gone in second, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, they've specifically made that a, 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 what do they call it, a subclass? A, a, yeah, a subclass or a build or whatever yeah, for Rogue. a build of the Rogue. And Warlord from 4th edition is yeah, not in so. here, but it sort of is in one of the fighter subclasses. Right. Yeah, see, that one's, that one's a little... I, I buy that one a little less. Mm-hmm. Um, I, feel like, I think they sort of made an homage to the Warlord, but you can't actually build a Warlord. I think no. they're all kind of an homage, though. I don't, I don't know that that's not true for, like, you know, a lot of... A lot of the ones that had a class in 4E where they're clearly, like, pointing towards it in this, mm-hmm. they're not the same. The Assassin, for example, is not the same as the Assassin. It's still a thief. Well, but it's it's it's, it's the assassin in as much as you get backstab dudes. Well, and it, and it fits that <laughs> it fits the assassiny sort of uh, story, right? I mean, I guess I guess your you could your warlord warlordy fighter can do that too, but he he's not the healer that the warlord was, and he's not the director yeah, of attacks right. and stuff that the warlord was, and that's kind of essential to who the war, warlord was, and you don't have that. Sure. But I also think when they're you know the the default is not using a battle map and minis. That you know, a lot of the warlord's abilities may be harder to define, right? Um, you know, because they were very tactical about movement and that sort of thing. So you can't necessarily have as many of those when you're playing theater of the mind. Yeah, and I don't know that I'm I'm personally missing it, but I've seen a lot of questions about um, you know. Yeah, well, the boy, I wish I wish I had a, a non-divine healer. You know, mm-hmm. well, that's the, the interesting war, the thing. The warlord was. Got... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, they also got. Um... 
you know, they they got rid of the archetype idea. They got rid of the what what were they called before? Like the the tank damage uh, dealer. No, uh, the rolls. Yeah, the rolls. They got rid of the rolls. So when they get rid of rolls, they don't need to have as many healers as they used to. No, but it was nice to have a non cleric healer. I mean, that mm-hmm. was that was a feature that people that I think people liked about fourth that w- they would have been happy to see ported out, and th- there's still potential to see that. I think so. I think the Warlord was very popular in Fourth Edition because it was one of the classes that really stood apart from feeling very samey, which was you know one of the complaints about the classes in Fourth yeah, Edition. Sure. And and so I think the fact that it's not here, I think people who really really were big fans of the Warlord are sort of like they don't they're wondering if they're going to get that sort of that type of character back. Because it doesn't really match anything that's in here, mm-hmm. but I, I agree that you know without the the focus on tactical battle mats and all that, that it's not it would be hard to emulate that without defaulting to. I a still say there are some system. elements they could have done, but I think it just wasn't a a high enough priority for them, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, that's a decision they made. Uh, and they could still – I think you could have done a, a non-magical healer type fighter-y sort of character uh, that would have emulated the Warlord without a, yeah. the need of a battle map. Um, and But they didn't and, and they they went another I, way and, I, and I, I don't disparage them for it, but but it's something that I noticed. I will yeah. say uh, – oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sam. No, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say that right now I'm uh, playing a game with Mike Shea where I am a cleric with the soldier background. And story-wise, that does feel very warlordy. Yeah, like, he feels like a grizzled vet who picks people up and heals them and that kind of thing. Sam, did you get in what you wanted to say? Um, I, I was just going to say, I think, you know, healing is a touchy subject in D&D, um, sure. especially across – it's one of the sort of um, focus points of addition wars. And so I think, um, you know, the, the war, having having a non-magical healer is sort of – could focus on that and, and maybe they just decided to deal with it later because, of course, there are going to be, yeah. you know, supplemental books and stuff. So I, I think, think, I think, I think fair, the design, the design space – that is open. This game is very open, so I think the design space will allow for later on, if they want to add a, a more war, a fourth edition warlord type class, they can do so. Yeah, and I can see like they've said um, over Gen Con, especially they said a lot that um, they don't plan on having any sort of splat book sort of things. It's not you're never going to see mm-hmm. if, if they keep with the current plan, you're not going to see a, a book of fighter stuff or a book of feats or whatever. Right? Mm-hmm. They're going to continue to expand the game as it makes sense for the storyline they're currently telling. Mm, so so right. somebody asked, when are we going to see psionics? And the answer was, as soon as we have a storyline where it makes sense to introduce psionics, right? Mm-hmm. So when are we going to see the warlord? When we have a big sort of armies battling each other and it makes sense to have sort of a general sort of type right. of character, you know? Right. So I can see that. And, you know, for all we know, it could be there could be some sort of character type options to, to enhance a fighter to make them more warlordy yeah. in the DMG because the DMG is is – you know, supposedly going to have uh, some sort of mass battle. Yeah, check. although that's, I think most of the stuff we're going to see in the DMG is intended for NPC use. I mean, yeah, yeah the mass yeah, battle thing, but, yeah, but and we'll, and sure, we'll see. But, it depends on the modules. But, but also the Warforged are going to be in the DMG. So are they I really? Think, are they? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that there's, I think there's some overlap there yeah. where they, they didn't want things to be in the player's handbook that, 
you know, the player's handbook has a little bit of optional stuff, but mm-hmm. the majority of it is, okay, here's the, here are the things available to you. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the DMG is left for, here's all the options that you can use to fiddle with your campaign, and here's some maybe different ways to think about different aspects of the game, and here you go. And, you know, different classes and, and a couple different races are part of that. Yeah. Yeah, the Kender are going to be in there, too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Now, I, I think my, my second uh, big critique of the, this book comes out of this chapter. You ready for mm. it? Yeah, let's hear mm-hmm. it. I think every class needs about two more pages. <laughs> just, not, just, that's your complaint? That's, that's my complaint. Every class is – I feel feels a li- like every class I think needs one more build or the, the cleric needs one, more do- one or two more domains. Like I feel like every single one, wow. I just want a little bit more. You know? Picky. Can I can I counter your complaint? No, absolutely. I I feel like un, unlike other other books, in particular a lot of the fourth edition stuff, I feel like they pack so much stuff into this book that I don't know that I really need more splat books. Mm-hmm. Now that's speaking as a DM way more so than a player, but I feel like there's so many different types of characters that I could build from this book alone. Oh, there. And, well, and it seems to touch so many different ones that I feel like yeah. I've got enough material to run for years. So, like, one of it, too, is just the number of classes that have a magical component to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Eldritch Knight and... and yeah, uh, no, my, my my comment comes more from the fact that as, I'm, as I read each class, I immediately was excited about them and wanted to play them. Like, every single yeah. class with one exception, I'm like, <laughs> right. I, I right. want to play this good. class. Yeah. Right? They're all good. And, and then I would come up with ideas for builds, and I could conceive of, of good sort of core builds that you could do in the past that don't quite fit any of the, the subclasses we have. Or... I go through the cleric and it's like, oh, well, here's all the domains. There's what, five, six domains? And I'm thinking as a realms guy, I've got about 15 million gods. I'm going to end up with, with, you know, half the gods are, are identical because they're all pulling from the same domains. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, that, so- that, you, your, your Forgotten Realms example is actually one where I could definitely see them adding those sort of class components to a Forgotten right. Realms book. To yeah. the setting, yeah, to the setting yeah. guide. Yeah. And that yeah. I would expect and that I would yeah. like. The same with Dark Sun. I'd right. love to see a Dark Sun focused book that's got the Dark Sun stuff right. in it. Yeah, no, and, I, and, yeah. And, I've, and I've said, you know, if my biggest complaint of the book is that I want more of it, that that's I think pretty high praise. You know? yeah. <laughs> well, now, now, Jeff, you said that, um, you said that. All of the classes except one. So, what was the one you didn't like? Uh, it's not that I didn't like it; it just wasn't as exciting. And that was the paladin, mm. because the paladin felt very much like, uh, yeah, it's a little bit of fighter and a little bit of cleric, and doesn't do anything unique all its own. Mm. You know, it, the the clericy things are kind of clericy, and the the fightery things are kind of fightery, and, and d- d- there's nothing that seemed uniquely paladinish. Yeah, so. it's interesting because well, I don't, the- I don't, in all the games, all the five E games I'm running. Uh, I don't think I've seen anybody play a paladin yet. Oh, so really? you might you might have something there. <laughs> I think the the problem the problem is that the thing that makes the paladin stand apart are the things once again that are that are a focus for for edition wars like alignment and and making a paladin adhere to a specific alignment and that kind of thing. Well, and as I recall back to some of the articles and things they they wrote during the the design process, some of the early design process, I, th- I feel like there was a time that they kind of actually wanted to not have a paladin and just say you can just multi class cleric and fighter and, and get the same effect. How, what yeah. do you guys think and, about and, what do you guys think about that? And everybody's like, uh, no, it's D and D. They gotta have a paladin. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. You know? right. But then as soon as they try to introduce like, okay, well here are the you know the paladin's a very restrictive class because it has these certain elements that are sort of in the archetype, and then nobody wants that. They don't want to have Restricted class. And so you end so. up with with a, a class that is so, almost a, just yeah. a multi class. It's not quite a multi class. It has some, a few things here and there. You know, detect evil and 
and lay on hands and I'll, I'll detect whatever it is, unnatural stuff or whatever. Um, and <laughs> Divine I, sense. Yeah, that's, I mean, what I, that's what I said. You know, so for, for, I mean, for the record, I actually like, I, you know, I'm, I, I like playing clerics, so I like my next thing is the paladins. I really like paladins, so I don't think this paladin is super horrible. I don't think it's no, there's yeah, nothing, there's nothing bad about it. It's awesome, just, yeah. There's nothing bad about it. it just did It was the one yeah. class that I read. It's like every single class. I'm like, oh, I gotta make this, and and mm-hmm. paladin was like, oh, okay, I get it, you know, <laughs> and that was uh, about it. I think- for the paladin, it's going to depend on the story and what's going on and how how strong the the gods are in the setting Although, to to be able to role play that really. The well. paladin also, if I'm remembering right now, the paladin also had the sort of homage build to the Avenger, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So you could kind of do your fourth edition Avenger through the paladin, and that wasn't the in Player's Handbook one. Yeah. Yeah, they got the oaths and all that kind of stuff you can build. Oath of vengeance. Yeah. Um, so I, I take it back. Actually, there is somebody I know that is playing a paladin in one of the games I'm running. Yeah. Because I, well, I remember his micromanagement of lay on hands was very interesting. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm running two games, and I have a paladin in both. Um, and those guys are probably the the like most hardcore crazy story guys right now. Like one of them is like missing a hand and he's wearing a sword arm and he, uh, you know, and he's gonna go back and avenge the guy who cut off his hand. Like it's this whole crazy ridiculous backstory. So awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, it was the ranger that I was a little meh about. Oh yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, I just felt like I, I wasn't crazy about the Beastmaster build, and I really wanted to be, because, like, I, I want to have an animal companion by my side and have it be cool, and the the their story overlaps kind of so much with Druid for me, but it seems like Druids are more serious about defending the forest than Rangers are, I don't know, it's, it's a... Uh, it's a. It was a hard sell for me this time around. I feel like. That's inter- well, and it's interesting because both of us seem to have the same complaints about our given meh classes, right? Yeah. Mine yeah. is that it's too much cleric fighter. Yours is that it's too much what fighter druid. You know. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I think kind of everybody gravitates towards different character types. So. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course. Of course. All right. Any other interesting class stuff? I mean, I I I was thrilled. I, I, I was I, so excited about every class, and I said that right. Yeah, I, I like the I like the uh, the wild magic table. Yes, oh, so the wild cool. magic surge is and really I'm, awesome. And I'm already hearing people talk about, oh, I'm gonna my DM's gonna make a, an extra chart, so you got to roll on a chart to pick a chart, and then you roll on that chart, and you know, yeah, chart you gotta, master. Oh yeah, but, but at the same time, that's kind of awesome for that specific type of character. Like that's what yeah. I want. Well, the other okay. the other thing I love about this chart, from a DM perspective, is you can have wild magic areas. Yeah, any, any spell cast causes this. Mm-hmm. Right, like you right. can just you know, as a DM, this is a fantastic chart. Well, and and on that same note, uh, the with the wild magic uh, sorcerer, it, that also plays into one of the things that I noticed um, that is interesting, and I think I like uh, about the edition as a whole is that it gives the DM sort of the the opportunity to make those calls. Right, mm-hmm. the way the mm-hmm. wild magic surge works is that uh, let's see. Immediately after you cast a sorcerer spell of first level or higher, the DM can have you roll a d20. Uh, yeah, can. Oh, can? Yeah. Right. Okay, so when does the DM do that? Like every time you cast a spell or... When I know, feel like or, it. Yeah, just when I feel <laughs> like it, you know? Love it. And, 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 and then the effect, the, the wild magic surge only happens on a roll of a one, and the wild magic surge table you know, is sometimes positive and sometimes negative, right? Mm. So you could do it with every single time you cast. And it's still mm-hmm. not going to be a, a common occurrence, mm-hmm. uh, and it could be good, right? Um, 
or you could save it for for rare and special occasions, depending on how your DM wants to go. Now, the problem with that is that there's no like DM information, like you know, to DMs. Hey, this is how you might do that, unless it's yeah. in the DMG, which would make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Can I can I bring up one other thing that I kind of I kind of dig about the design of the player's handbook overall and the design of the classes? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I really I, so you know. I played 4E for so long that that's probably the edition that I have most in my mind when I'm looking at this one and thinking about how they had powers in that and often ran into the situation where mechanically it was almost exactly the same between two different powers, but they had to come up with a new name and put it in a new place and Mm -hmm. tie it to a new attribute and all that. And this one, they focus very heavily on saying, look, if we're going to have some kind of crazy stuff that classes do, we're just going to make that a spell. And they'll get access to that spell, and that way yeah. you only have it once. I actually and noticed yeah. specifically that there are several spells that seem to be um, ways of implementing a, a specific, well-known fourth edition power. Like yeah, there, there right. is a spell that's basically twin strike. You know? Right, right. And they have, you know, the, there's a monk, one of the monk types, where they have all these kind of crazy monk, you know, monk powers. But the monk power is all tied to. You know, a spell. So, like, it, they call it Sweeping Cinder Strike. You can spend two key points to cast Burning Hands, you know, or Wave of Rolling Earth. You can spend six key points to cast Wall of Stone. Right. So it saves them tons of writing. Like, you know, they just... And all the mechanics is like, if you know what Wall of Stone does, then you can do this ability. Like, And that's similar to how they handled a lot of th- things like that in, in 3rd edition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, then my 3rd my edition... I played a lot of 3rd, but I didn't pay a lot of attention while I was playing. Yeah. <laughs> It reminds I, me of my Pathfinder work. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, and and that's and that's not a bad thing because I mean if you're gonna yeah. if you're gonna basically say uh, the the monk does this thing and it allows it to to fan these flames out or whatever, uh, why create a new mechanic when you're basically just trying to say they cast burning right. hands? Then yeah. fine, just say right. they cast burning hands. You know, right. Right. maybe the way they're casting it is different than the way other people cast yeah, it, but absolutely. it's still the same effect. Right. I think that's great. Let's just call a spade a spade. Well, yeah. and I lo- I love the uh, on that note, like the abilities that have the same name, right? Like the monk and the barbarian have unarmored defense. The monk and the rogue both have evasion. So if you see those, you sort of connect them. Whereas I, I feel like in fourth edition, it would be like if they both had unarmored defense, one would be called like. Monk, no armor wearing ninja man, and the other one would be called like <laughs> Barbarian Shirtless Rage makes you harder to hit. You know, like they yeah. would have different names, and it, you see that throughout, kind of, which is really right. great. Which is also yeah. a throwback to the way things worked in third edition, right? Yeah. The, so, uh, several classes got evasion, and it worked the same regardless. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So, no. That's good. It's just, it, that just makes it cleaner and easier to understand. You know, yeah. but, but I also felt like they don't have to hurt, work as hard. To make things feel different, you know, fourth edition had to work a little harder to make things feel different, and so maybe that's where some of those naming conventions came in, because right. they needed to, to differentiate it, even though it was kind of the same. Yeah. So. Can I, I, I had to do with the builder too. So. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Can I uh, can I point out one little design thing that I love, which I- is that, uh, and Topher Cohen pointed this out to me that on the first page of every class there's a little icon in either the top right or the top left corner um, mm-hmm. that is different for every class uh, and I, that's just kind of cool it's kind of neat like it's a winged helm for the paladin and it's a fist for, fist the, for the monk yeah. 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 that that actually reminds me of the the sort of uh, the design motif that I like which is that each each major chapter has a, a different color down on the right by the page number 
so that mm-hmm. you open it immediately and you know what what section you're in and, and all the tables in that section use that color as the background like yeah. the 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 rules section has like light blue and the class section has light green and the spells are like purple and well and as much and, as that's cool to have the little icons i wish they actually used them more because i think you know having it on the yeah. first page is interesting fine right but that doesn't help me like find yeah. stuff mm-hmm. if it was on every page of the warlock section or or of the ranger section or whatever then yeah i could just flip through and say oh there's the eye i must be in the right area you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well i think the icon is going to connect up uh in some later. way to to like the the spell cards that are coming out from gale force sure. nine and things like that so you'll immediately be able to look at that card and know which classes this would be applicable to gotcha one other one other thought about that, and I'm 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 not a page designer, so this just falls under the I'm not a designer, but I know what I like category. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole design of this book just feels great to me. Like it it feels mm-hmm. both classic and new at the same yeah, time. Yeah, it does. And you know I like how the art bleeds out to the very edge of the page, and I just you know the the even the, I'm not normally I'm normally a, a real lightweight guy when it comes to design. I, I would prefer that you do less than more, and but even kind of the parchment color of the pages is really nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, just overall, the design makes it feel like I'm. You know, twenty years, thirty years from now, I'll be happy to pick this off the shelf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, should we go through what other things uh, are in this book that we like? They got this whole personality background section, uh, which I think oh, has some super cool stuff. I love that. I think for a first-time player, it's uh, amazing, especially all of the different flaws and ideals and bonds. I think it encourages role-playing for someone who might be uncomfortable. I have people role-playing uh who i've been playing with for you know five six years now who have never come out of their shell like they have for this so it's has great. anybody else uh made the comment like i've made that uh they've they've gotten a little bit of fate into my D. yeah <laughs> well, i love it yeah. right but yeah. this is not not just a little i mean the whole inspiration token yeah but mm-hmm. but feels you like know, for and, fate that is like yeah. the core mechanic for D, it's sort of sort of a, a little a little tiny bump to, sure to, to but encourage it's role yeah. play. but it's a yeah. clear i mean yeah i love it don't get me wrong yeah, but but to me, yeah, they absolutely a, got fate. I'm more than happy that it's there. Yeah, there's a clear line between uh, Savage Worlds Bennies and and fate points and this edition of D and D and and even sort of a finger out to uh, to Dungeon World with the the bonds and the mm-hmm. way that those work. And they're different here, of course, but you can see where the sort of the where they is. where they they actually went and looked at a whole bunch of games and said, okay, well. If we were going to add something from this game to D&D, what would it be? And then when they look at that list, they say, well, what's actually worth it to add it to D&D and still keep it as D&D? And I think they made a pretty good, a pretty good uh, decisions in, in that respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're lightweight. Like They could have put in a, a heavier kind of interconnection between mm-hmm. characters sort of thing, and they chose to go lightweight. And I mean, I know, so I had a, I had a guy at my game last night and it was the first time he's played D&D in 30 years and he not only jumped right into the game and had a you know had his an, an easy you know other than kind of like like what exactly is the proficiency bonus on a saving throw like there was some little bits of confusion with that mm-hmm. but generally like as soon as he got into his background and as soon as he got into his character and he was deep into the story within a half hour and it was, you know, it was really fun to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Not the first time I've heard that story either. I think a yeah. lot of people are coming back and loving it. Yeah. yeah. So we've talked, we we've ranted and raved about how much we we like the background personality section. Should anybody like actually explain what it is? <laughs> <laughs> Mike, go. Uh, go read it on the web. 
No, wrong answer. <laughs> oh, this is the web. What? Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, where people so the back- well, You know, okay. So they, they have a background system where you can pick a specific background. It has both random charts where you can kind of roll on an ideal and personality traits and bonds and flaws that are all based on the, the background. So if you pick a criminal background, you can have personality traits that are tied to it and everything, you know. And, and it also ties into skills. You, you get extra skills. You sometimes get tool proficiencies. You get a special set of equipment that, that uh, ties to you. Um, and, you know, the, the ones that are in the – what's that? And, and a quirky little feature. Like you can – you know, you're a noble. You can call on. Yeah, and so right, and so right. If you're, if you're a criminal, you have a contact. Right. You know, and they're, they're really great ways to kind of build, you know, to, to get into your character. And they – you know, they're, they're, they're pretty good ways for – particularly if you have people that are just sitting down for them to get an idea of the character that they're playing rather than just – you know what stat should I choose? And it and so this this has the um you know so I'm a really big fan of tables and one of the reasons I like tables is not just because you can roll and pick one you know roll and see what it is and then that's the thing but because if you roll and it it, it lands on something and you read it and you go ah oh, you know that really wasn't what I thought you can then either roll again or you can you know you can it helps you actually focus down and figure out yeah. how, what kind of character you really want to play, mm-hmm. you know, cause you're not, you know, assuming your DM is, is relatively flexible, you know, you're not necessarily, you know, you know, married to this particular dice roll. You, you could make the case, well, you know, I don't really want to, that doesn't sound good to me. It doesn't sound like it ha- it's not very interesting. Mm-hmm. So I want to pick this other one. And, you know, that's perfectly reasonable. Um, and there's, there's enough choices to make it sort of give you some ideas or, or, you know, some, some inspiration, not in the inspiration point, but in actual inspiration, or, you know, you actually can pick something, but it's not, they're not such huge tables that they're overwhelming amounts of, oh, how would I ever pick one of these? Mm -hmm. Sam, you said the word, tell us what inspiration is. Inspiration (laughs) is a way for, um, for the DM to reward players by, by giving them a, a little bump, uh, for, Good role playing, or for creative role playing, or a good idea, or something like that. And what's the uh, you, you can you can only I think it's you can only have one at a time, right? You can only have one yes. inspiration point at a time. So um, basically, if you do something cool at the table, your DM can hand you an inspiration point, and then you can use that inspiration point later on um, to you know let you. Um, to have advantage on a roll, for example. So if you're making an attack roll, a saving throw, some kind of ability check, or you can actually take your inspiration and, you know, give it to another player if you really want to recognize another player. So for example, if you're, you know, if you have a new player at the table and you you're sort of been playing with this group for a long time and your DM gives you inspiration and you have kind of the shy new guy or, or new girl sitting here next to you and you really want to bring them out and they have a really good idea but they're kind of shy about it you can you know encourage them to give that idea and then when they do it if you give them your inspiration point can you imagine what effect that's going to have mm-hmm. that person's probably going to feel so good about you know you recognized that they actually had a great idea and yep. they're going to feel more comfortable and that's going to lead to more comfort and more participation at the table. So, you know, um, I think it's a good little mechanic. I, I think that yeah, it's, um, it's easy to forget. And I, the reason I say that is because I forget to give my players inspiration. I forget <laughs> Me that too. this exists. Can, because I, I've can been, I offer a tip? You know, yeah. Uh, make sure in the beginning of it, this is something that I've done and it's worked very well for me, which is I ask the group as a whole to please feel free to, in, to, to offer inspiration points to other people. 
Okay. And that so way, it's sort of like you groups. do in Fate. I do it exactly well, my, the same yeah. way I do in Fate. My, my, my way that I got around forgetting it was just to take out one one because I, I use poker chips yeah. um, and so I take out one one nice clay poker chip for each player and I put them in front of me right. so that I remember that they're there and then mm-hmm. if right. one of them does something awesome or has a great idea I give yeah, it I do to the them, same thing so. with campaign coins which are perfect for it That's yeah awesome. and if I don't have them out I just forget because it's just it's such a new part of D&D you yeah. know as an actual mechanic with a with a physical representation that mm-hmm. I forget to do it yeah and, and really what we have here is a whole chapter which is I, – I count over 15 pages focused just on backgrounds and backgrounds mm-hmm. feed into mm-hmm. this inspiration mechanic and all that. that that's really yeah. all just mechanics supporting role-playing in a way mm-hmm. that, that we haven't yeah. seen in a strong way in a long time. And, and I think it's awesome. I think and it's, it's, it's not too heavy-handed either, no, which I like. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's not a story It's still game. relatively lightweight. Yeah, it's, yeah. Still, it's still yeah. D&D, but it's a, just this right. little thing that, you, that you'd have built on top of D&D mm-hmm. that says, oh, yeah, by the way – wouldn't it be awesome if we played pretend? Right. You know? the, the, other, the other thing is about backgrounds is that they also give you a set of equipment and you know, some tool proficiencies. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just this list of, oh, here's your flaw and here's your personality trait. No, it's also, oh, and by the way, if this was really your background, this is a likely set of equipment that you would have acquired over the last couple of years. And, and, yeah. I, and that's one of the really extensible sort of – Parts of the game too, like when we when we have the new adventure storylines or whatever coming out. That's mm-hmm. I imagine backgrounds is going to be one of the easy to right. go to. Hey, here's yep. two two new backgrounds that re- fit really well into this story. Well, or whatever. And DMs could probably create them. Like, yeah, they're not hard. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. oh yeah, And they've given some guidance online for creating them, haven't they? Yeah, have they? I think so. Yeah, they did uh, when it when it came. I've already made like four and put them on my blog, and I know End World is. Uh, like amassing a whole background sort of wiki style place where people can go post their own. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, that's a, and, and they not, you know, now was, now was when we were starting out strip the, the, the covers of the PHP, but they've in, in their own published adventures, they have separate backgrounds or mm-hmm. background. I forget mm-hmm. what they call them, background themes or something like that, that are tied to the adventure, which is a fantastic, even if you're doing it on your own, mm-hmm. customizing right. your backgrounds for the specific campaign you're going to tell is a great way to get the players invested early. Yep. Now, on to the least interesting uh, chapter ever <laughs> that actually I think is really kind of awesome. Like, how do they make the least in- interesting chapter, that being equipment, into something oh. that I'm actually excited to go through? Yeah, it's so Be- good. Because it's it's massive cool lists where you can go shopping for little things and whatever, and they've got lots of different options without necessarily being you know overwhelming. It's not a, it's not a catalog. And then the trinkets. Yeah, <laughs> the best. Yeah, the best. Yeah, and, and how much? How much does it cost to buy an elephant? <laughs> Absolutely, no. That's what I'm saying, right? You've got all so these little great. things in there. All this, uh, like the, it's just a list of stuff, but it's not so overwhelming that I, I feel like I can't go shopping. But at the same time, like, how cool is it that I could buy this stuff and I know what it is, you know, and, and I know how to how it how it works and where it is, and that on page one fifty two you can apparently buy a necklace with a TARDIS on it. <laughs> have, yeah. have you seen that? Yeah, what is that? On, oh, it was actually I think one it's of the a lantern. Isn't it supposed to be a lantern? That is that is a lantern. That is I'm a sorry. TARDIS, and and I had sorry, it pointed Jeff. out to me. I had it pointed out to me as a TARDIS by one of the Watsi guys. They said, "Hey, <laughs> look what one of the one of the artists managed to sneak into the book." <laughs> It's a lot of but it's not actually a TARDIS. <laughs> nope. Yeah. 
It, it also um, this this chapter has the lifestyle yeah, expenses right, section, right. which I really like that way of doing things. And I I yeah. had house ruled and been doing something similar to this for a long time. Instead of saying each it just, day, it just makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Instead of saying each day, you know, this is how much you're paying in 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 for your room, and this is what you're paying for your food, and we having to go through that shopping experience every single day of of sitting around for a week or two. It's yeah. just a well, what kind of lifestyle do you want to live? You want to live a nice lifestyle? Okay, here's what it costs every day. Yeah. Right. Multiply and your the. Day. What does it give you when you when you do it? Yeah, yeah, and the the art on page one fifty six is very interesting. It's <laughs> it 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 it's very it's a, a mixture of very interesting things. Is that okay. halfling? Does she have a crow on her head? It looks like she she, has a crow. she does. Like Johnny and, Depp in the Lone Ranger. And <laughs> and then there's <laughs> that's funny. And then there's there's the dwarf next to her, and then there's a guy in in really you know heavy looks like you know armor Western and, style and, armor. Yeah, and the and the barding is is very you know has plates and whatnot, and I'm sure it's very heavy and hot. And then there's a person who looks like they belong in the desert. Right. Yeah. It's a very int- and the dog is is it looks more like a hyena face. I don't yeah, know. It's it's a, a very hyena. it's a very interesting like I, I don't know. It's a striking though. I mean I don't mean interesting as in I don't like it. It's bad. I mean it's just like this is a motley crew. Like <laughs> if this is your adventuring party, <laughs> which, they are which a an adventuring party. You know, oftentimes it they, they might be exactly yeah. 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 Oh, it could be man. great. Yeah, it felt very um, pulpy to me. Like, whoa, some of the like this dude in front is leading everybody because he's from around here, and these other guys aren't, and they're looking around like, oh, what is that in the distance? You know, like yeah. it, it, it felt awesome to me. So, so one, oh, go ahead. one thing they have in here that I that I really dig are the expl- are the packs. Like they they do a pretty good job of like you can be as detailed as you want or or very quick and abstract. And mm-hmm. one way they do that is with these equipment packs where they just, and I think they've had this in other mm-hmm. systems before, and I know they've had it in like Morden Kanan's book and 4E had it, where you can buy like a Dungeoneer's pack for 12 gold, which includes a whole bunch of stuff. And that way you don't have to be like, oh God, I got to add up all this junk. Mm-hmm. Right? You can just mm-hmm. say, nope, I want the Explorer's pack, the Dungeoneer's pack, and the Burglar's pack, and I'm good. And that'll cost this much gold. And, and I'll mention it here because we didn't mention it during classes. I also like that uh, I've, I've happened to have created a lot of clerics lately. Um, in preparation for a game that hasn't started yet, because clerics are awesome. But anyway, and 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 holy symbols aren't are like there's a variety of holy symbols now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have a a an amulet like you typically do, do, or you could have a symbol sort of emblazoned on something. Right, you know, I've got it, my holy symbol emblazoned on my shield or whatever. But then they also have the the, the bit for reliquary. Which I think is really interesting because that's something unique, and for some reason I'm drawn to it. And every time I make a cleric, I, he's got the finger bone of Saint <laughs> Hubert or whatever. Like, no, I, that's awesome, you know. <laughs> that makes my cleric super awesome and cool because he's got this, you know, this important figure for his religion's, you know, pinky toe or whatever. Yeah, you know so what makes that's the next reliquary is going to be the TARDIS. Is that what you're saying? Uh, it better be. <laughs> well, and I you worship know what, the doctor. What makes me super happy is the trade goods section where they talk about, you know, one pig equals three gold and that sort of thing, because mm. I could totally see, you know, the, they clear the cobalts out of the farmer's <laughs> place. And he's like, all right, I don't have anything to 
give you, but I have all these pigs. So <laughs> they get paid. Like, it's just awesome. I can't wait to pay people in pigs. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then they get to go on the adventure to find somebody who will actually buy the pigs. Yeah. <laughs> right, and they have to, like, herd the pigs. Right, they got to get the, right. the pigs through a dungeon, right? Like, oh, my God, another ladder. <laughs> Track detectors. Yeah, I think, I think the only thing about it is kind of... Sh- um, it's not necessarily overly strange, but it seems kind of tied to the price of goods if you're not from the places where, the, like, the ginger and the cinnamon and cloves and stuff. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and I guess, you know, it's a it's a standard sort of this is what stuff is, and then you as a DM right. say, yeah, that, and that's rare here, or that's common here, and, and adjust the prices accordingly. <laughs> the price for hobos, right? For everybody else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for everybody else, you might just have mint, but... But I'm, you can I, have a pound I'm, of ginger or one goat. I'm, I'm really right. drawn to the picture of the cake on 158, but I'm worried yeah. it's a lie. <laughs> I do like I do like on on the also the services where you know getting a coach cab between towns mm-hmm. and within a city and you know having a messenger like those are really yeah. like what nice is, what, to what have passage on a ship would cost because you know every right. time every yeah. time I've ever had characters on a ship they always just work the ship because that's easier. You know? I love the road. Before they take it over, the yeah. road or gate toll is one copper piece. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like, you're going to have this whole scene where they get stopped at a toll, <laughs> and there's going to be this big negotiation and everything. And the end result is it's one copper. It's one copper, dude. Just pay it. You know? yeah, I'm like, like, I'm not sure it's worth the one line in the book. Yeah. Well, <laughs> anything that costs a copper. I think part of it is just more to give ideas that you can have that level of detail right. in a story. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and that stop at that toll road could could become a thing, right? Sometimes that might turn into an adventure or an encounter or whatever. Sure. Now, it, it's not that it's over one copper, but you can you know the the economics of the world don't work if it's more than a copper, right? That that peasant farmer has got to be able to get his goods to to town, right? Mm-hmm. And he can't afford to pay a gold or ten gold or whatever the the adventurers can. Well, maybe can afford. think of a new line of work. <laughs> be, a, be a better farmer. <laughs> uh, we we mentioned that we love the trinkets. Uh, Tracy, what is what is the trinkets? What are we talking about? Trinkets is a list of a hundred various things that you roll on, it's pretty, and you it's get pretty to have it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a diary with seven missing pages. What are on those pages? <laughs> I don't know. Adventure. That's what's on those pages. You can get a glass eye. Yeah. A glass jar containing lard with a label that reads Griffin Grease. Griffin Grease. You can get an empty silver snuff box that has the inscription that says Dreams. <laughs> a, a silver s- spoon with an M engraved on the handle. A single caltrip made from bone. We could just ma- re- read we could just passages have the, of this. It would just be a reading of the trinkets. Right. We'd have to do it in various orb. voices. <laughs> An empty glass vial that smells of perfume when opened. <laughs> a gemstone that looks like a lump of coal when examined by anyone other than you. Anyone? A but set you. of bone pipes. Okay, I was kidding. Uh, we don't <laughs> actually. <laughs> Why? It's fun. <laughs> it is maybe for us. I'm not sure how long yeah. people will listen. I did like the QVC voice, though, Sam. I thought yeah, that, that was, was yeah. great. <laughs> uh, the next section deals with customization of characters. It, it, it's basically it's your feats and multi-classing section. Um, multi-classing is a thing. It seems a good balance. Anything more multi-classing? We have to see it in play. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I there's haven't played There's a lot of this book that I have to see in play before I can really judge it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and feet, feats um, are similar to the feats as people have gotten used to, but more. Like, uh, not that there's more feats. There's actually a lot less feats. Uh, f- fewer feats, that's how words work. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> But they're but they're the better than they're better than what you've gotten encompassing. for encompassing. They yeah. encompass more things. So yeah, alert, they like, have a wider range of use. Yeah. yeah, I mean the very first one is alertness, and it's it's plus five to initiative. Plus you can't be surprised as long as you're conscious. Uh, plus other creatures don't gain an advantage on attack rolls against you as a result of being hidden. Right. Yep. So right. it so it just covers more powerful. things yeah, to, because ability scores are a big deal in the game, and if you're yeah. giving up a stat bump. Um, what you're getting better be worth a stat bump's worth of of yeah, juice. And you, you don't, know? and you don't get you don't get feats very often, right? I mean, it's not right. like you, you, you end know. up with maybe four or five feats over the right. course of your entire career, right? If if yeah. you didn't take any stat bumps, which who's not, mm-hmm. right? So that's that's one of the complaints that I've that I've heard more so than I than I have myself is that there there feels like there isn't a lot of feats, and that overall because of a lack of feats here, there isn't a whole lot of customization that it can occur between characters and then may end up being true over time so far i haven't seen it but yeah. yeah you know because each each feat here is almost like three feet stacked together the, mm-hmm. the problem is that means you can't really mix and match that said much. each feat then as a result um like sometimes you take a combination of feats in third or fourth edition in order right. to try to build a certain type of character yeah, right. well i don't need to do that anymore i can just right, take right. Uh, i can just take healer and i and i get all the stuff i need right, or i right. can take yeah, like you'd have like those seven or whatever, archery, and i'm good right, the seven archery feats you had to take in order to be a decent archer yeah mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and if you didn't take one, it was like you, the feat tax, right? Because yeah, anybody right, who did take it is more powerful than you are. And if you're but only you, going to get four or five at right. most, then I'm, but I mean, I, I I'll think, probably only take two or three. You know, I think on along those lines, what they've done is they've they've traded story as a way to differentiate your character with feats as the yeah. way to differentiate your character. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm completely okay with that. I think that's fabulous because. Yeah. I don't, I'm not a huge fan the, of feats. The surface perception that I've mm-hmm. heard is it doesn't feel like you can customize your character as much. Again, yeah. I'll know when we're you know five campaigns deep. Right. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, a, I have made about five clerics at this point, and all of them feel very different to me. But I haven't played it, them, so it's a stylistic thing. You know, if you get someone who's used to playing first and second edition, right. they're you know they're not they're not necessarily you know especially a first edition player they're not looking to skills and feats to differentiate their character because they didn't have those things. So for them, having the the personality and background and all that stuff is right. you know enough, and they're not looking at feats. But somebody who played third third edition or Pathfinder, you know, their characterization, their customization is built upon feats. So to not have feats for them feels like they're losing. It's like, you know, cutting back on the skill system, you yeah. know, feels like a loss to them. So, And I know, um, like, Jared's been a little uh, concerned because he's been playing lower level characters and he, he likes having really unique characters and he feels like Tell the level. listeners who Jared is. Jared Runhinen, who uh, has done art for D&D and stuff. And is a good friend of Tracy's and lives in Germany. Yes. I assume he's still there. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yeah, so he doesn't like at the lower. He don't, he doesn't like it until he gets it to like fifth level or sixth when he starts yeah. getting what he calls real options. Yeah, it's really fourth. Yeah, but at fourth levels when you you know between fourth levels when you hit your third level, you know archetype path, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. fourth levels the first time you get to pick a feat. So if you know, and and I've heard people say this: if you want to feel, you know, if you want to build a character that really feels like a good meaty fourth edition type character, you want to start at 
third or fourth. Yeah, yeah and that's what he's been saying. Yeah, and that's I mean that's fair. That's and that's, 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 that's a totally a de- valid way to play. And that's a design. Yeah. That's a, that's a design feature. They did that on purpose. Like yeah. the mm-hmm. first three levels are supposed to be your. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm building up and I'm making those choices that are going to decide on who I'm going to be. Right. Right. Those levels. So. And that's actually just you know again if we're going to you know speaking to some of the some of the the complaints one of the I think one of the things that sticks out at me. Um, you know, as kind of a, it's a big thing for fifth edition, but it's also clearly something that's that's deep into the player's handbook. Is that first level characters really are significantly uh, weaker? Squish, squishy, than, yeah, yeah, they're very squishy. And, easy to kill. Uh, yeah, easy to kill. Just goblins, right? Just goblins can do it. Yeah, and and, and pretty pretty easily. And not very many goblins. Right, you know, and I know that three goblins yeah. with a for the few good rolls can take yeah you down. two two with good rolls yeah. can drop a you know can at least drop somebody if not kill them yeah, oh, yeah. and really? um yeah so so you know that's an easy thing for a campaign to say and I I did for my home campaign we said we're starting at two and that was because they play tested for two years so like I please don't make me play <laughs> another level one character um, <laughs> and and it is fast getting from level one to level two you know as I say like it's like one fight with rats and a good stern conversation and you should be level two <laughs> yeah. um. But but I do worry that more people are going to expect people to start at level one. A lot of DMs are going to expect people to start at level one. And if that DM is used to 4E, they're going to throw the kitchen sink at people and they're going to wipe out a lot of groups. And that yeah. might be the first experience they have with fifth. And that could I'm, be I'm hoping that there is gui- plenty of guidance in that, on that in the DMG. Yeah, we'll see. I, have, I don't know what you said, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, if you, if you <laughs> one piece of advice real quick just be uh, I think uh, Mike you were talking about this on Twitter too breaking up the monster groups mm-hmm. if you have multiple uh, governments not having them all go on the same initiative can sometimes help oh. yeah yeah I mean the problem is it's so swingy like one goblin with a good roll can drop a wizard right so, yeah it's, it's but really if you get tough. three of them dropping like three of the players including the cleric uh, player characters including the cleric then yeah, yeah. I mean, my, my solution is just get him to two as fast as you can. Why didn't the wizard cast sleep in the first round? What is he thinking? <laughs> so let me let me bring a slightly different perspective to this conversation, and that is, um, yes, it's true that people coming from maybe third and fourth and Pathfinder are going to find these level one characters very squishy, but it's someone coming from the older editions or, or retro clone is going to find these characters mm-hmm. – a little bit more powerful than a first level character because of the healing possibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I think they, you know, as much as it could be problematic for a new DM, especially or or a DM coming only from fourth, there is they did try to strike a balance. You know, one of their design goals was to sort of make the every man's D and D that will have enough aspects right. that are what the different editions really were good at that that it would satisfy a, a huge swath of players. And I think they did a good job um, yeah, like, because, because it's so flexible that you can say the thing where, okay, well, you know, start at fourth level because otherwise you, you're, you know, a pin cushion. Right. And the thing like the cantrips getting over the 15 minute work day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. While well, still not we, being quite like fourth edition. We have successfully right. talked for an hour and made it about halfway through the book. Yeah. And, and, and I haven't hit mechanics okay. at all. The other half is all spells. Well, right. So, <laughs> so the other half is all the how you play section. And I don't know that we need to go through all the mechanics of the game. The basic rules are out there for free. People can check out the mechanics right. of the game. Right. Uh, James, over at the roundtable, you guys did a great sort of review of the basic, uh, the basic rules. So people can listen to that and, and, and get a, a hint of how all that sort of works. So I'm not too worried about Woo! that. 
Um, and then, then part three is all about magic. And, and by magic, I mean it's mostly just a giant list of spells. Oh. Although I, w- I don't mind talking about some of the spells because I really like the way they've handled some of the spells. Yeah. For, first of all, the balancing factor of um, s- spells don't scale automatically. They scale right. when you memorize them in higher slots. Fixes a lot of balance issues. Yeah. There's, now, there's two things. There's actually another thing that fixes balance issues, which is concentration. Yeah, well, that mm-hmm. and see, I have players that that hate both of those already. I'm sure having yeah. not even played, they're like, I liked my broken stuff, you know. Well, and and I mean, I've got my player who I mean, uh, you're I'm sure you're familiar with the the player from our behind the DM screen discussions. Uh, but I've got my player who, when I ex- described that to him and how excited I was about it, he's like, Oh, great! So now my first level spells are useless by the time I get to a higher level. It's like, no, you no, can. It's no. still better than throwing know. a cantrip out there. <laughs> it's just, yeah, right. you know, it, yeah. So. Um, There's one other interesting thing that I heard the and and some of the some of the stuff which we're kind of getting in little bits and pieces, but I think is very interesting is hearing the designers talk about their intent behind the way things are mm-hmm. and and the feeling that they want. And one thing is if you look at like the wizard's uh, spell progression list, um, you know a wizard never gets more than one ninth level spell, mm-hmm. where in other editions they might get like. I don't know what did they get two or three or four. I think sorcerers could get high high numbers. And the intent was like we don't want you to cast four meteor swarms. Like meteor swarm is your big epic thing. Like that's the one you know that's that giant Gandalf like moment. You know, mm-hmm. or or <laughs> that uh, Gandalf never had. Like he never. Yeah, you know that, that scene where where Gandalf and the uh, the guy with the glasses are in the. <laughs> The big cave fighting off the undead while they're going after the phylactery of the evil guy. <laughs> you know, uh, I remember when fire he, thing. Yeah, when he that talked was, to a moth, right? That was right. He was right. talking to him. Yeah, <laughs> that was and Yoda was there somewhere. But yeah, the, the, the yeah, I mean, like you, it's, you, it should be like one big iconic spell. Not oh, I'm going to cast power word kill four times. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. an interesting design decision that they made. And I also find a lot of the, the spells are, and we mentioned before, some of them emulate old powers from 4th edition or whatever. But I find some of the spells, uh, I guess, are more interesting because it's not as clear cut. Right? Mm-hmm. We got so used to 4th edition where a spell does this and it does this and it's done and it's done. You know, that's what it does. Uh, now we get a little bit more of, no, a spell like manipulates things in this way and here are some interesting things you can do with it. And it opens the door a little bit to say, hey, you're throwing around these magical energies. Do something creative with it. Mm-hmm. Not, not just hit your enemy with it, do this kind of, you know, do X number amount of fire damage and, and they're prone or whatever, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, it's more than that. It, it does this thing. It creates this thunderclap and that can have other whatever, other consequences. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that they've done that. I like uh, a lot of the things that I see in the spells um, just seem really cool to me. Yeah, yeah, they're they're really, and they're very, a lot of the, like the save or die sort of or save or suck spells that, Kind of, you know, we're heavy in second and third edition. Um, they've they've really figured out good ways to handle them, that it, that balance them out, make them powerful, but don't totally just, you know. And they've changed components. They're not win buttons. They've tweaked components to be a hey, we're going to change the rules to make it so the way so it's the way everybody is actually playing anyway. Exactly. You know, like yeah. material components. No, you don't have to track those. You just have a bag. It's got material yeah. components in it. Sometimes you do. If it's a diamond worth five thousand gold pieces. Yeah, unless it, unless it's valuable, right? <laughs> but at the same time, like some of the one, some of the some of the spells that class orc rind. <laughs> the, the, some of the spells that classically have cost uh, money, though, like identify. I'm thinking of like we used to. Yeah. We used to. I don't know where we got all the hundred gold piece diamond or uh, pearls, 
But yeah. we had a giant sack full of them, apparently, because we were <laughs> casting that spell constantly. Uh, and now it's just a, you know what? No, you have to have a hundred gold pieces, or you have to have a pearl. Right. right. But it's not consumed. You just have to have that pearl, and you just keep using it over and over again or whatever, right? Exactly. Um, makes it more, I guess, reasonable. Um, <laughs> and know? if it's a really, if it's a big ticket item, you, you, your DM could decide that you have to go find that. Like, okay, sure. a wyvern fang. Okay, if you need to find a wyvern fang, those aren't for sale on every street corner, right? You know, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, but, like but once you get it, books it took but once you get it, you keep, you, you've got it. You know, you don't have to keep right hunting exactly. it down every time you want to cast a spell. So, you know, I, I, there's a lot of cool things in spells. <laughs> I like that message requires a short piece of copper wire. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. My uh, two paper cups. Yeah, this <laughs> <laughs> drink. Well, and that's like my favorite spell in the world is Tasha's hideous laughter, and I think it's because the spell components are tiny tarts and a feather that's waved in the air. You know, <laughs> that's how, like what are you throwing tarts at a person? Of course they're gonna laugh. It's not the spell. You're just acting ridiculous. You know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I was glad to see that and Otto's irresistible dance. And I also uh, like the way they've actually compacted some spells. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, guards and wards is now. You know, there's one guards and wards spell, and there's all the different effects you can do with it. Or there's one big bee's hand spell. Yeah, cure wounds. You know. Yep. You know, like like they collapse all of the cures into one. Mm-hmm. They're just one, but you can scale it. Yeah. You know, you, you can, can memorize scale. it higher, higher. So level. much, if, yeah, so much more efficient and and so much easier to to deal with. Or I, I said memorize, but you can cast it at a higher level. You don't necessarily have to. Yeah, right. me- memorizing works very differently now. It's not it's yeah. not like it was. So you right. got a lot more flexibility. But it's, it just you know, and and I loved fifth, I loved fourth edition. Obviously, like I played the hell out of it. But it was really nice to read a spell book, a spell list like this, and just remember what it felt like to read one when I was fourteen. Yeah, you know, it, it it's really just nice to get back to the same names and the same general you know spells and feel like ah. So I, I get where people are saying that fourth edition didn't feel like D and D to them. It felt like D and D to me. It felt like a different kind of D and D. Right. But I'm that you know. But this gives you that sense of nostalgia and remember, you know, what you sense of nostalgia, but with a system that is very, very playable. Right, and I don't think we'd have this this system now that we're getting into system a little bit. I don't think we'd have this system without fourth edition. Mm-hmm. I think it it led us down that evolution. So yeah, I could see that. All right, so everything. So I, ha- oh, I go. have three. I have three final thoughts. <laughs> Do we want to talk about appendixes before we do final thoughts? Well, that, 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 well, one of my final thoughts is one of the... Let's talk it, about it, your thoughts about the appendixes. Can I, can I say one last thing about the spells? No. Sure. Okay, please, fine. real quick. <laughs> one thing that it's missing is it, it is really missing a spell, a, a couple of different spell indices. It needs mm-hmm. a spell list by school. Mm-hmm. Um, and given that they have a lot of classes that are limited to what schools of spells mm-hmm. they can cast, it's really hard to figure out which ones they have. And um, I would just, I'd very much like to see more spell indices that had the page numbers of the spells. I think it'd be a lot easier to deal with if you knew exactly where to go to read a certain spell description. Somebody, if I can remember how to spell it, um, Ari Marmel Mm -hmm. put out a bunch of lists, and spells was one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to, it's Mouse Feratu is his website, and he's got, um, he's got that, he did that uh, spells, and and then he also did a and d uh, 5e monster sorter. Right using by CR because there's not one. Of those. So you can organize them by different, yeah, by different way, you know, in different ways. So they got a spell sorter and a and a monster sorter. So you can sort of here's the list. Now you can sort it in the way that works for you. Mm-hmm. So that that solves some of those problems, doesn't it, Mike? What's that? The spell sorter would well, solve yeah, some of the problems, but it'd right? be really you know that 
yeah. Oh yes, it would be it would be nice to hear. I'm just for it's, for the benefit it's something that's missing from the book. It's for the, that for the be benefit really of our of our listeners, though. So it's, uh, there's stuff out there. Yeah, I will say that um, if their choice was either have an index or have that spell sort list, I'm glad they chose the index. Yeah. Because I, I like the index. The index is, is well, pretty well, even though I need a magnifying glass to read it. Ultimately, this whole thing just goes back to my, my number two critique is uh, I want more. Uh, you know, in almost every mm-hmm. section, I could just use a couple more pages, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like they did a real index. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. – yeah, I like the index. I, well, we'll I, I, I we'll wasn't see. being facetious. I think, you know, it, it, an, a good index is something that has been lacking in a lot, in a lot of uh, – D and D books for a long time, way even way back, you know, first edition. It just when I, when I get to actually play at the table and we got to look something up, then we'll see how good the index is. I have done it already. Yeah, it's pretty good. Good. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a pretty detailed index. It's really hard to read yeah. though. So, Sam, you want to say something about appendices? Oh, I well, I was going to mention the spell thing that one of the appendices should be the spells. Oh, okay. Um, but but the other thing was that the conditions in the appendices. I I like the exhaust the exhaustion rules. Yeah, really handy. It's another one like the uh, wild magic. I like that they have quirky little fun art to go along with every single condition. Right. Yeah. 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 Invis- I like the Invisible I like that art. And I I like the art on page one seventy one too. The sort of painting painting looking art with the big dragon. With the peop- with the put the party or the adventurers crossing the, the oh, cabin. that is so cool. So isn't cool. that a great? I, I really one seventy one. The beginning of part two. It's the big, yeah. part two think, intro. Is that the art that was used for um, Dragon Spear Castle? Uh, no, no Dragon Spear. No, no. They're up on the no. up on the. It's them looking over. Looking. It might be from the starter set though. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. no, actually, yeah, I the, the starter set has yeah. the dragon. It's the starter set art. Yeah, I also really like the inspirational reading section. Let's update yeah. it. Yep, mm-hmm. they brought back yep. the inspirational reading from what DMG uh, first edition, appendix in in the first edition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I like the uh, I also like that they put the planes of existence in the in the appendix and and yeah. and uh, multiple pantheons full of gods and right right. No, there's a lot of cool stuff in the in, and then an appendix with creatures in it, which which <laughs> ah. James mentioned at the beginning, which makes so much sense. Like, you know, as a as a player with a with a Animal companion, or uh, uh, what's the thing that wizards get? Uh, Familiar, 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 or whatever, right? So I, I, you'd always have to have. Oh, I I need this one page of the monster manual constantly, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Now I've got some of the more common ones in the back of the player's handbook in a way that makes so much sense. And like, I'm not going to spoil anybody's DMing game by having the stats for a tiger. Yeah. You know, or a wolf. Like it's not that big of a deal. So I think it, it's brilliant to have that back there. Yeah, yeah. I like I that the it. ethereal plane is back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and they've they've done an interesting bit where they've sort of said, "Hey, the, the planes are weird. So maybe all of them are right." And here's a cosmology <laughs> wherein the fourth edition and the third edition planes can kind of both be okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad. Or, they still and and, and back to the Great Wheel, fall. right? I mean, they go back to second edition. Yeah. yeah. Love the Feywild and Shadowfell are still in there. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed those and they're good additions. I think those stayed in because um, people, you know, when they were doing the polls and when they were talking about all the cosmology, mm-hmm. lots of people wanted those to stay. And I, th- I mean, I think they had a good – I mean, they, there may have been a, a, a higher – vote count whatever on a lot of those polls mm-hmm. but not like an overwhelmingly like not 80% like this right mm-hmm. 
So, right. so they had people from all editions who like things from all editions sort of answering these polls uh, and guiding some of the what was created, right? And so mm-hmm. th- they came up with a cosmology that I think um, decently well allows you to do all of those. Now, does it also mean that your cosmology is a little bit extra complex? Yeah, I can see that. But is that a bad thing? I don't think so. It's the planes, like well, it's always it's always fun that like mortal minds have trouble just wrapping their head around them anyway. Yeah. So they can always be different. It's 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 the the literal it's not a great wheel. It's a giant hamburger. It's it's literally the <laughs> infinity of the plane. So yeah, you know what? It's okay if it's got that's complex. It's infinity. Yeah. I uh, I was talking about the planes on my blog, and my brother lost his mind. Um, because he does not like the planes and they're confusing to him. And he's like, why would you leave this whole awesome place that you've already created? And it was like, so so if you don't like the planes, you don't have to use them or just use the ones you do like, you know? I love the planes. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan too. I'm yeah, a big too. fan too. All right, let's go into last thoughts. Uh, James, go. Uh, well, there's one thing that I wanted to say, uh, and it's kind of a downer because it's a thing I don't like, but... I don't like that the back cover is half glossy, half matte. Um, <laughs> I, w- I, I actually, I don't like it either. Uh, I so like it. I'm glad that you said it. Feels like weird it. on my I hands. I like the texture. Every, every time I every time I pick up my player's handbook, I feel like, oh, what what got on my book? Oh, never mind. It's just that yeah. that matte thing. Yeah, it actually it drives me crazy. It feels the way coconut tastes to me. Um, <laughs> I don't like it. But so, so, every, so blue. every listener is now licking the back of the. <laughs> But uh, but I have to say, if that's my biggest complaint with this thing, uh, it's it's awesome. Uh, you know, I think it's totally worth fifty dollars, and uh, I really think that it is not just a great guide for people who have been playing D anD D, but I think they mission accomplished. This is a great book for somebody who's never played the game before. Final thought. There you go, uh, Sam. Final thought. Um, well, so to speak to that. Uh, back thing, I didn't think I liked it either. But you know, then when I had it at the game, it allowed me a little grip. And I like. I, I decided to like it. Um, I decided that I like. I changed my mind because um, I, I wasn't sure about it at first. I was like, oh, I'm not. I don't really. I, I wish it was that kind of smooth, silky matte finish that like Fake Core, the Fake Core book has. Mm-hmm. And, and I was kind of disappointed that it had. But you know, it really grew on me when I was using it at the table. So, uh, so there's that. Um, and my, and, and then I have a kind of a, it sucks to end with a final thought that's kind of a complaint. But, um, my, um, my binding was really tight and everything, but they used, they went a little overboard on the glue. So some of the art in the, you know, where the, where the pages have come together is, is coming off and, and is, uh, is, it's not a deal breaker for me. I'm not going to call customer service and get a replacement, although I hear they've, they've been pretty good about doing that if your binding's falling apart. Mm-hmm. But, um, my binding's not actually falling apart. It's just, uh, uber glued. And so some of the art has been leached off of the pages from the glue. And some of the pages were hard to open up and I had to, like, you know, flatten out the book. So, um, and the ink smells really strongly on my copy. Uh, and it's not strongly as a pleasant new book smell ink. It's strongly as, that ink smells funky, um, but once again, not not so much that you know. More Cheetos room, and Mountain Dew, and you'll be fine. You know, I mean, if I'm in a room with the book open, it's not like I I like constantly have this horrible smell or something. But it's just you know, it's just something to note. Like I I, I know I'm not the only one that has 
that has noticed that. Um, you fall asleep on your player's handbook and have weird dreams. Yeah, I understand. yeah there you go. Yeah, <laughs> no, but 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 overall, I think uh, I think it, it it's a good it's a good thing. I like it. I think they I think they hit many 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 of their design goals, uh, and and that I think that a lot of people will be pleased with it. Cool, Mike Shea. Final thought. So I have I have two. One is that I find it really hard to review the entire book without actually seeing a lot of stuff in action. And it's going to take me, you know, I, I, I think I've mentioned it before, like it's going to take me a year before I can give this thing a really good thorough review because I've got to run a bunch of campaigns and I've got a bunch of run. Like I have no idea what level seven to 20 looks like. You know, <laughs> I have no idea how it plays and I really want to see it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, like I'm running a level 20 game just to see what 20 looks like, but that's still not going to be a great example of, well, what is seven and 13 and how does it progress? Mm-hmm. Um, but I tell you, when I have this book on my hands and when I open it up, I read it, it makes me feel like a kid again. So I, I, I really love it. Well, and that's one of those things where we're reviewing a, a specific product, right? Uh, if what you're talking about is a review of a, of a larger system. Well, but I, it, it, it and, comes and, down and, to a lot of this. Book, yeah, though. it absolutely does. And, and that's fair. Um, and, but we're, I mean, we will, and you will, and other people will throughout the course of the next five, 10 years. I mean, I felt like we spent, you know, five years reviewing fourth edition, because as when new books came out or as we did new advice episodes of this, that, and whatever, we talked about all these little quirks and mechanics and things. And it all sort of compiles to the larger um, catalog of conversation. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tracy, final thoughts. Okay, I'll try to do it quick. Two, two of them. Uh, one is that I feel like the outer covers are a little fragile. And this is something that uh, Jared's group also noticed. But then it scratches pretty easily. I the the edges just from being in my backpack have kind of crumpled a little bit. Hmm. Um, so that's like the downer one. But the plus side one is that I really love the care and detail they put into uh, inclusivity, not only in some of the text, but in particularly the art. Like having a woman of color as the main yeah, the uh, image for, for a human. human. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I absolutely love that. Yeah. I mean, we didn't, I, I had it as a possible topic for us to talk about it. We never really got around to it, but, uh, I was kind of thinking you'd probably hit it here in the, in the final thought. So yeah. And we might want to do an entire episode and see if we can get the art people on. Yeah, absolutely. And we, and we have in the past, right. And, and we would yeah. be happy to do, do things like that in the future. Uh, good. Uh, my final thoughts, um, two things. One, I love that inside the title page of each of the the fifth edition books, and the player's handbook is no exception. They have the full art, you know, a smaller version of the full mm-hmm. art on the cover with a little blurb about it. You know, this this artist made it, and this is who it's depicting. Hey, this isn't just a big fire giant with a bit cool looking fight. No, this mm-hmm. is King Snur, and you know all this stuff. And they've they've got these f- fun little disclaimers hidden in there in the small text. If you pay attention, disclaimer: Wizards of the Coast is not responsible. For the consequences of splitting up the party, sticking appendages in the mouth mouth of of a leering green devil face, accepting a dinner invitation from bugbears, storming the feast hall of a hill giant steading, angering a dragon of any variety, or saying yes when the DM asks, "Are you really sure?" You know, it does <laughs> fun little things where they're clearly having fun with it, and they're they're give, but they're giving us some some of this cool lore and background and uh, and all kinds of stuff. And then my second last thought is. Um, I have been through three or four different edition changes at this point, um, and I have never been as excited about a new edition of D&D as I am about this edition right now. Uh, and the Player's Handbook has a lot to, to do with that. So 
that's my final thought. Uh, I guess we're, we're at the end of the episode. We need to thank our various supporting cast. So thank you, Sam Dillon. You're very welcome. And thank you, Mike Shea. Thank you. And thank you, James Intracaso. Thank you, Jeff. And we should point out that all of you have other various places on the interwebs where you can be found. Uh, James, you are at the World World Builder blog, which is worldbuilderblog.me. Is that right? That's correct. And Mike is at Sly Flourish at slyflourish.com. Yep. And Sam, where are you these days? <laughs> You've moved around. I, I am at RPG Musings. So you're still I, doing I the RPG around. Musings That thing. That okay. is my, it's been my blog for three or four years. Okay. And and I just wrote a really great article the other day. I can't believe you haven't read it yet. <laughs> I, I did. I, I read the article. I don't use the internet anymore. Mike, Mike Shea liked it enough that he retweeted it. Yeah, I don't. I, don't, I, re- I retweet everything, so that's not a real. Shh. <laughs> I don't get on the internet anymore unless I. I liked it. It was the, very thoughtful. The only time I get on the internet anymore is when I'm recording podcasts. Other than that. That's about it. Yeah. Uh, and and Tracy Hurley, my, my esteemed co-host who I normally don't think. Thank you, Tracy Hurley, for all the wonderful times we've had together. And you can find her at sarahdarkmagic.com. Cool. And if you'd like to contact us, you can send us an email at thetomeshow at gmail.com or call our biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And show notes and other great Tome Show shows are available at thetomeshow.com. And before I close out, one last thank you to our sponsor, Noble Knight, and all of you guys for shopping over at our affiliate links from Amazon and D&D Classics. This has been episode 241, where we have launched the new edition of D&D for Reels on this episode of... The Tone, The Tone, The Tone, The Tone, The Tone, The Tone, The Tone. I'm on the wall.